Hello, and welcome to the Weird Waves podcast. My name is Taylor, and this is episode 57. On this week's podcast, we are talking to Lucas Donardi. He is a surfer and yoga instructor from Brazil, but currently based in Bali. This episode has been a long time coming. We received information about Lucas from one of our guests, episode 22, Delano, and we kind of been going back and forth. Then the lockdown happened. Then he didn't have internet. And we finally got to record this podcast. And this is a very crazy one. Lucas has had a very interesting life. But what happened to him when the coronavirus lockdown started is just... It, it could be a movie, honestly. It's just mind-blowing. And it really goes to show how much this virus situation has impacted surf culture, the way that surfers handle situations like this. We're so free. We're so used to being able to travel wherever we want. And when we're suddenly not able to, it really does affect the culture as a whole. So, okay, cool. So how are you? I'm great. Finally, it happened, right? I know. Oh my gosh. I was telling Andre, like, this is the podcast that has never been fully scheduled. <laughs> I think I can remember when we start talking about it. It's been a while. It was before coronavirus. Yeah, way before. I, I can't remember where I was, but I remember you did with one guy from Brazil and then he advised for me to do it. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Danilo from in the middle of. Uh, yeah, um, the guy that surfs in the river. Uh huh. That's right. Yeah, he was saying you do. Um, he was telling us about your the Mentawis like charter that you were doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. I have a surf charter. I work in a surf charter, so I have these boats that we make surf trips there. Uh, life for me was a big change in my life. This is something recent in my life. We started the first year as operating in 2018. So before that, um, originally I'm a yoga teacher. So I used to have my yoga school. And yeah, and then a change happened in my life. Which I'm glad that happened, actually, really. So what your yoga studio was that in? Are you Brazilian originally? Yeah, I'm from the south of Brazil, a city called Porto Alegre, which is the capital of the southest state in Brazil. Okay. We have a border with, the state has border with uh, Uruguay, Argentina. So it's, Oh, okay. Uh, Share a little bit of the culture with them. We have Mate uh, Gaucho, which is the person who born in my state and is the man from the from the, the countryside that barbecue and you know deals with the agriculture or with uh, growing cows and sheep and you know. But yeah, my town it's. Uh, away from the shore is it's not on the coast so first 
first beach is around one hour, one hour and a half, one hour and 15 minutes, I think, driving. And then my family have has a place, like a beach house, that is kind of like eight, uh, four hours, four hours and a half, five hours from, from my city. So for me, surf was, I lived there like for almost two years when I was young, when I was 15. But then uh, before, after that, it was surf for me was something that I used to do on weekends. Yeah. So, but I'm passionate about surfing. So, all money that I have, that I save, uh, I put on surf trips. And my, I don't know if I should tell my, the, the whole thing. Or... Yeah, yeah. Just keep going. It's interesting. Okay. Yeah, but so the thing about surf for me, it was something that when I was really young, I used to do with my brother and another friend. Because my my grandfather and my grandmother, they had this. They still have my grandmother passed away, but they have they used to have this house at at Florianopolis that it's more well known on surf. And I used to go on summers, and then we were there, and then I had an uncle that was always pushing us to surf. So then we started, and then I was around six years old, I think. I had an accident surfing because I, I cut my leg really bad. I had like nine, 90, 90 stitches. 90? Oh, my God. Like nine zero ninety. Yeah, 90. 90. 90. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. And I was super small. I, I, I put my whole hand in the hole. It was weird. It was a crazy situation. And then I kind of started bodyboarding for a while. And I think it was good because I started to see the wave different, see the barrels a little bit more. Because you were and like then, lower down. Yeah, and I used to surf this small beach break that the waves were kind of like small ledges. So I was there watching the like the curve of the wave, and then yeah, and then I I heard and I start to see because this uncle of mine he had a surfing magazine, so he always was always talking about stories and everything and then he used to talk about Hawaii which was a place that I was always dreaming about and especially pipeline and then I started to see pictures when I was still young so my whole, whole dream was to serve pipeline to be able to serve pipeline that was my dream and then I re read on on magazines about the pipe masters and everything so whenever i had a chance i i traveled trying to become better on barrels especially on my backside for one day be able to serve uh pipeline yeah then when i was 15 i moved to the beach house from my parents and I stayed there for almost two years. I was living by myself, and it's like super small town at that time. There was nothing, not even phone. I mean, you could 
have phones, but at that time the company, the, the phone companies were ruled, ruled run by the government, so it was really hard to get one number. <laughs> and then, and anyway, and I, my my mom used to cry every time she was there uh, when she was like leaving me because I was young and. But I want to become a surfer, you know, but I never did as like I was supposed to go on weekends to contests, you know, but on the weekends, my friends from my hometown used to come to visit me and to surf. And then I didn't want to leave the place to go to a, a, a place like to compete, you know, I never liked it to compete that much. And then, yeah, and then after I finished school, I, I didn't want, I knew that I, I couldn't stay there. And then I, I moved to Australia for trying to, like, do something uh, in a place that was closer to the beach. And I, I heard many things about there, but it didn't work out. I was 17 and I tried to, at that time, I was already practicing yoga and actually I was already like before I leave, I did the, like the teacher training. So I was young, but I was already, I already got the certificate and everything, but my English was awful. So it didn't work out. I worked in buildings for a while. <laughs> then the, the idea was to save money and come to, come to Bali. So then it was the first time that I came. And, and what year is this? This was 99. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had like 17. And so it was completely different from today. So people like Uluwatu, the whole bucket was completely empty. It was just like small farms, few war rooms on the cliffs. Like Uluwatu had some war rooms and then Bingen, Dreamland. Dreamland where they have like today they... There is a golf course. It used to be just like a cliff. And we used, like, people stay in Kuta and drive all the way every day to surf. So it was a magic experience and, like, the most perfect wave that I ever surfed uh, so far. Like, Kadang, and then we did a trip to Desert Point, and it was something that really opened my eyes to what surf was what real surf was like how it was to like really surf a barrel how it was to see a wave breaking over a dry reef and all these things that i, I was always like watching on movies because when i was living in in at my beach house in ibiraquera is the name of the place I don't know if you remember the place where they used to run the city, a place called Praia da Vila. Mm. Uh, yeah, like Nick Fanny and Kelly won the world title there. Anyway, it's close to Florianópolis. But so at that time, I was living there. My one friend came to live with me for a while, and she and he had this TV with the VCR. So we watched a lot of surf movies. And I fell in love with Tom Curran's style. And then he had all those trips uh, to Indo and the search too. And 
a few other like Feral Kindle and then searching for Tom Cohen. So I was always dreaming about it. And then 99 was this moment where I kind of like see a bit only body and then desert, Sumbawa. Anyway, then I left and I start to live in cities again. Uh, and then I start to work as a yoga teacher. It was 99 when I started. And I moved to Sao Paulo, that is a really big city in Brazil, really like busy place. And I had no friends there. And like, and the people that I met, uh, they didn't surf. So it was a moment where I was a little bit away from surf. And then eventually in 2001, I came back to my hometown to work as yoga teacher still in another place and then I met like two I already met them before but we started to work together and hanging out together two friends uh, they were a couple at that time and and they loved surf loved to, to be on the beach as well so it was a magical moment because I came back to my hometown and then I met a lot of people that were more into surf because before that my friends were more like I had a lot of friends that like to surf, but most they like like more soccer. They so and we were young, we didn't have cars, so when the weekends were a little bit hard to go to the beach, like by bus, you know. So this moment was good. I was like every single weekend we drive to the beach. It was a pretty cool time. And then yeah, and then I start to really dream about going to Hawaii and surf pipeline and then I went to I stopped coming to Indo for a while but then I went to Chile to Arica to surf El Gringo I went to Puerto Escondido I went to another spot in Brazil called Fernando de Noronha so I was trying to and then eventually I went to Hawaii first time I was really unlucky because the season that I was there the first time, <laughs> after I heard it was, it, I think it's until now, it's considered the worst season ever. <laughs> it was, the pipe? It was like 2007, 2008. And it was weird because I was there and I was like, when the waves will be like, will be when really good waves will come, you know, I was there for a month, like 45 days, and I like saw pipeline, like decent pipeline, I think twice. It was a weird, like a lot of rain, a lot of onshore winds. <laughs> it was yeah. so bad that people still talk about how bad it was. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I realized because I had no reference. I, I had no idea how how powerful it could be and you know the pipeline that year for you to have an idea it was the year that beat Derbj won like making turns at off the wall that's how bad it was <laughs> you know so then yeah it wasn't that good but and then I, I start to go a lot to Chile south of Chile explore a few places there like uncrowded really cold but really good waves a small town that we found like first i went to arica to the north and then i kiki and then i 
went to Pichilemu, and then we heard about this wave that looks like Indo, and then we start to travel to that place and score really good. These days it's more crowded, but at that point, that point was not so, like it was completely uncrowded and a lot of left hands, but not so much for, for barrels. So then 2011, I came back to Indo and I was a completely different place, like in a different world. Like you couldn't recognize the Bukit, the Uatu, the whole place was different, Padang and everything. Because it grew so much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I was still trying to improve my surf. And then I went, yeah, then, so every vacation that I had, every money that I had, I was always trying to go somewhere else. And then I remember one day I, I used to do like, I was so, I don't know, into treats and everything. So I used to, sometimes when I had like a free time during the day, research about like tickets or call agents, like travel agents to talk with them about tickets. And then this one day, it was 2011 still, and I called this guy, hey, you have anything good? And he said, actually, Tahiti, we have a ticket really good. And then I bought the ticket with some other friends, and we went to Surf Chopu, which was one of the best wow. Yeah, it was really amazing. And we didn't, like, there was one big day. It was, I don't know, solid eight foot. Not, nothing crazy like you see these days, but for me, it was super special. But it, that at that time, I think it wasn't so popular. So there wasn't too many people there. Or the people that were there, was they weren't so interested in days like three to five foot. So we served many days, like in the morning and at the end of the day, like glass days, nobody out there, just me and three friends, which was really, really good. It was a special trip. <clears throat> and then eventually, so my cousin, he's like became partner in a boat here. And then I came with him. So first time I came to, I went to Mentawi by land. It was 2011. And then I came with him by boat in 2014. And then 2015, I came back. And then in at 2017, I organized a whole group with just my friends. It was the first and the only time that I like blocked the whole trip for my friends it was really great it was a weird weird year in indo because qatar airlines they they did this massive sale for bali that the ticket it usually usually goes from like i don't know 1200 1500 1700 and at this year if you buy like there was different prices, but if you buy like tickets, it was 500 US. So, Whoa. so, so the whole body was Brazilian. It was crazy. Brazilians <laughs> that year more than ever. 
I I was I, like a little bit embarrassed about what I saw <laughs> the line, but anyway, I could we could come like all friends. It was the funniest and funniest trip ever. We had such a good time and we scored really good. And just after, just before we got into the boat, just the trip to come was an adventure. It took us four days before the, the boat trip starts. So then <clears throat> when I was getting it, like the day that we are going to depart, my, my cousin said, ah, we're going to sell the boat. We are buying a new one. And I, sh I think you should buy it. And I'm like, geez, there's no way. Uh, you know, I have my school. My school is, I'm settled there. Like I'm really on a good time, good position, make, making some money. Like, you know, the, the, the school is running good and everything. And then, but it was something that really got my attention. I was the whole trip thinking about and, yeah, maybe, you know, because I was living in Brazil to have an operation so far from home and you have no idea about how it works, about the laws, about the, the language, you know. But then he starts to talk more and more and eventually one guy, like I had this really good friend, Fernando, and I talk, start to talk to him like, hey, Fernando, we li really love this lifestyle. It's our chance, you know. And then at the time I was talking with this friend that it wasn't a friend for a long time, but it was it's a guy that is really passionate about surf, just like me, Diego. <laughs> and then the moment that I told him, he he was in already. He already started to <laughs> <clears throat> spreadsheets to calculate everything and how much it costs and how much we're gonna spend and how much we can make money, blah blah blah. And then I got excited about it. And we really start to talk about it. And then Gustavo, the last partner that came in, he comes from another place. And he's like a video maker. He was already super into surf. He did like many uh, surf movies. That was His surf movies, were they are really like famous in Brazil. And then he did a lot of, a bunch of TV shows. So he was more into the professional surfing world and this kind of thing. For it was was good, and then he he said, "Yeah, I'm really excited as well." And then, yeah, eventually happened, you know. So 2014, 18, uh, I sold my school. My initial plan was not to sell the school because it was a place that I love. So my idea was six months here, six months there, but then things went in a way that, yeah, I sold it and it was the crazy stuff at that time. I just moved to Indo without knowing the language and then straight to Padang to fix the bolts, to be able to be ready for the, for the first season. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then here we are, like during this two seasons, <laughs> a lot of things happen, like, for me, I always say that every trip is like a lifetime because it, it's like is <laughs> that it, they are so intense. There is so many things happening and 
inside of a boat, I, I like to say that is a life of improvisation because <clears throat> like people from Indo, they are super creative and they, they fix problems and they solve things in the most crea creative way. You know, they, they don't have too much resources and they, I don't know, somehow they figure out how to solve the thing, you know? So it's been like a super <clears throat> rich uh, life full of experiences, like a lot of really unforgettable days of surfing, a lot of good barrels, a lot of new friends, good people, and like good and bad stuff happened. You know, the first trip, I don't know if you want to ask me something and just talk. <laughs> I mean, it's super interesting. No, I think it's like with the boat trips, it's kind of like not every surfer can do that, you know? So it's super interesting to hear about it from the inside because at least from my perspective, it's like the ultimate dream. You charter the boat, you've got all your best friends on the boat, and you're getting handpicked to take to the waves. So to hear it from your perspective, it's super interesting, yeah. Yeah, it is like, at the same time, like, it, it's a work as well. So it, there is, like, I always say that when the boat is at the channel, anchor at the channel, the, the, the wind is offshore, there is sun, and the waves are good, and the guests are happy, and then you are in the best, like, you cannot be in the best place, you know, in your life. But sometimes... For this situation to happen, you need to deal with a lot of things, a lot of <laughs> small problems that keep happening the whole time, all the way. Like, for example, <clears throat> there is this really awful experience that it was my first trip. So I came to Indo March 2018, and in April, mid-April was the first trip of our boats, like, you know, first trip from the company. And then I, like, uh, we did some renovations at the boat. So after a month, like, kind of like living in Padang for a month, which is a city that has nothing to do, you know, you get a little bit crazy there. I did, a, I came to Bali once and then I did a trip, but I was like super high expectations. So the guests arrived, people traveled like three days to get there. We had this professional surfer from Brazil, like Bruno Santos on the, on the boat. And there was a, a good swell coming. So we, at night when we were like about to depart, <clears throat> I don't know exactly what happened. It was like the captain that did something wrong, but it wasn't the, the highest tide. So, I was doing the meeting, so we do the meeting in the beginning of the trip, and it was my first. It was my first one. I was there talking, and then the boat instead of leaving, so we were at the channel, the harbor. It's a channel, and then goes to the ocean. The boat stopped, and I was like, "There was something weird." But I was talking and talking, and then I finished the thing and went out there, and then I was, like, "What happened?" Beyond is the guy that is our business partner and now he's working in land but he used to be the cook the cooker like the chef on the mm -hmm. 
And I was like, hey, Yanto, what happened? Oh, no, probably there is some trash. There is rubbish because the, the channel is full of trash. It's really sad. You know, they, they just throw everything on. And then oh, there is probably uh, rubbish on the, the propeller. So there is one guy coming with, like, to dive and to check. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, we are about to go. And people were, oh, we are leaving. Yeah, we are leaving. <laughs> and then the guy dives. I went, I don't know, I went inside to get something. And then a guest came and said, hey, man, there is a bad situation. There is something wrong. And I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, we are not able to leave tonight. And I was like, what? So I come out of the boat and the guy said, the propeller is broke. The shaft, which is the piece of metal that comes out of the, the engine mm -hmm. with the propeller, it was broke. I think he hit, he hit the bottom. So I, I was like, no, 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 I, I, I couldn't believe it. I said, no, I can't believe it. Get my pro, I, I had this GoPro, get my pro, and it was night. The, 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 the water was dirt, full of trash. It was like a nightmare. And then the guy <laughs> came back with the GoPro, and I watched it, and there was this huge piece of metal snapped. And I couldn't believe it. I was like... And what I'm going to do? Like, I can't believe it. I left my comfortable life. That was the only moment I was like, man, I think I did a bad, like, the wrong thing. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I sleep whole night. It was one of these moments where I was, it was a weird night. I couldn't believe it. And then in the next morning, I woke up. <clears throat> And we, so there was a big pros, procedure. They need to see how big was the, was the shaft to see if the guys had on the mechanic, like the, the, the engine where they, they were going to fix it and everything. So I was through the whole day dealing with the guys asking me, so tonight we're going to leave, right? Tonight we're going to leave. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to, but they need to fix until like two o'clock because the boat needs to go to open ocean for them to jump in the water and fix the thing. And then at the end of the day, that come this news that, ah, it's not going to make it. We cannot oh my make God. it. Day. And I was like, oh my gosh. So then Lady, that is a lady that helped us a lot. that worked for our company as well. She said, well, because maybe because the big swell was already losing uh, energy and she said maybe we can talk with the captain and and you guys can <laughs> that trip was unbelievable you can fix in mentalize there is there is a possibility the guys will bring the whole shaft and they fix it and then was what happened the, the captain accept for us to go with just one one propeller one engine and we were going to stay two days with just one engine and then they the guys will get there uh, with the, with the shaft and fix it. So then we served two days, and then we we went. Then there was this <clears throat> funny situation where we were heading to this this other harbor in Mentawai, Tuapeja, which is the capital of Mentawai. And then the waves were there is there is a moment where the waves were kind of like not big, crazy big, but they they get the boat in a way where oh my God. rocks a lot. And a lot of people start to go bad, and one guy starts to vomit, saying that he was going to die. And then another guy, 
because the boat was moving. He hit the fridge and broke the fridge door. That was like a glass fridge. He broke, and then it was a nightmare. And then we fixed it. It was unbelievable. And at the end of the trip, this captain that he wasn't our original captain, but our captain was sick. So he was just for that trip. And then he almost, he, so it was the last night of the trip, sunset, everybody was happy. We were going to sleep, surf the next day, and then leave to Padang. It was the end of the trip. So he started to move the boat in a channel in Lance's right that is kind of like a, a narrow channel. It's the place where you can stay closer in the whole mentality where you get closer to the wave. It's really cool to watch. But then he did like a wrong move and he started to move the boat like backwards. And so we were taking shower at the back of the boat and we start to see the reef and he was going to hit the reef. So one guy ran to the captain and said, go, 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 go straight, go. Put all, like, all the energy. And then, uh, like, we could make it, like, didn't hit the reef, but it was another situation at that trip. And, uh, and that was only the first trip. And I was <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. I, I don't know if I will make for at the end of the, our first season, you know? But yeah, but then it was weird because all this happened in the first trip, and then after that, it was all it was all good. It looks like uh, I don't know some kind of probation, like some kind of <laughs> I don't know the word in English, but it's like a test, you know? Yeah, to see how bad could it be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course, other stuff happened during the. There's two seasons, but this one's, this trip was full of like real, real crazy situations. That's wild. So when the guests book, when somebody books like a tour and something like that happens, how do you handle that? Like, what does that look like? Do you tell them ahead of time, like, okay, it's a boat trip, like anything can happen? Or do people have a certain expectation? It's this this part of expectation is really hard because we have mainly Brazilians guests and like in Brazil the, the surf culture there like for us this trip is I, I think all over the world but I don't know in Brazil it's really something that people live to come to men's on a boat so it's something that they, they get like they arrive with full of energy and expectation and asking many things. <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's a little bit uncomfortable for some situations to deal with all that. And we already had some things like, for example, the boat couldn't go out because actually this is not something that we can control. They just close the harbor because if there is a big storm, if the swell is too big, they simply won't allow you to go out. This happened with us once. But then people can understand. And then another time we need to fix the boat, like the engine. 
and we have like a short time to do everything because one trip it's start at the end of one day so we travel during the night the longest navigation is doing uh, we do it at night so then we spend like 11 days surfing and then the last night we are coming back and after that we have only two days to fix everything and many things can broke during the a trip you know like an ac or like toilet or engines you know there is so we have two days to fix it and then there was this trip that we leave like we left like one o'clock in the morning we need 12 hours for the for the crossing so people wake up and we are still navigating so we need to explain them that this is the kind of thing that can happen but yeah and then the other funny thing that happened is like there is some people that they jump into the boat and they look like kids that they ask about everything, <laughs> everything you can imagine. There was this one situation that was the extreme of it that the guy started to rain. So the guy turned out like turned to my business partner, Gustavo, and asked, Hey, what time is gonna stop raining? <laughs> And we were like, what, what the, like, what are you talking about? What are you, what are you saying, man? And this, this same guy, he was a doctor and he asked me what he should do because he had sore, um, shoulders. Mm -hmm. And I said, and he said, what kind of medicine should I take? And I was like, I think you're more able than I because you're a doctor, man. I just can advise you to take like a, you know, some, <laughs> something to relax your muscles but maybe you can you know but yeah so i think because they are too excited or because it's such a different word for for most of people there is a lot of people that never got into a boat like a big boat like that you know the boat has like 74 uh, feet so they they kind of lose themselves in all that energy and all that expectation they look like real kids but at the same time the trip itself is for me I, I did a lot of trips in my life and i never had an experience so intense on surf because every morning you will wake up and you are right in front of a wave because like the boat doesn't we doesn't anchor we don't anchor at night uh, uh close to the waves but like 4 4 30 we we depart and then it's like six o'clock it's dawn and we are already in front of the wave at the channel so you wake up and you're looking sir and then you you eat breakfast and you're looking wave and then you jump in the water and you surf you come back and your friends are still surfing oh it's good i'll look that way oh maybe i'm coming back and then you surf again and then you come back and then you chill out at the like you're watching tv at the room you know the living room that we have but then you look to the window waves you know i'm going out and and we have this dinghy so we take people to the to the to the lineup you know you, mm -hmm. you basically don't paddle you just paddle from your wave to the back to the lineup but then you wave with your board we pick you up and come back to the boat so 
kind of like easy life, but it's so intense. Like it's the most intense experience that I ever had. And when I was a guest uh, and still this day, I'm still surfing a lot. And so this is really cool because people surf their brains out, you know, they get so and at and then at night we have the footage or the pictures and then we are at the, the room and then we put on the screen on the on the TV and then people are watching and laughing and talking about waves and seeing where they can improve. And then the next morning they're gonna try to do it better. So this is really, really cool to see. It's really like gives me a lot of feel fulfillment to be able to give this opportunity to people like to because for me i still live in the dream in all the trips all the good sessions for me is still something that i'm really enjoying i never get tired of surf you know so once you are working with that and you are like giving people the opportunity to to leave that thing too it's really nice it, that that is the best thing i beside the surf itself you know because you have people that come out of the water and hugs you and man this is the best day of my life or oh, i got the wave of my life you know so it's really cool and we at our boat we really we really like to help them to surf better or to understand better what they are doing in a good and a bad way and uh like we push them like gustavo is my it's the partner that uh, he shoots from the channel most of the time. And he's the one that sometimes he he realized that people are not so, like, confident or something. And he starts to go, go, just go, paddle harder, you know. So this is really hard. This is really nice. This is really cool to, like, to push them and then see they overcoming their fears or they... You know, they getting better at surf. So this part is really, really amazing. And I think it what what makes people come back as well or talk with friends. And, you know, really cool. That's awesome. It sounds like an absolute dream. How do you how do you decide that? Okay, like my skill level is good enough that I'm going to spend the money and go on the boat trip. And do you ever have people? on the trips where it's like maybe they shouldn't their levels not high enough to be there yeah actually like so we are talking about brazilians that we don't have like uh really good waves in brazil mm -hmm. you, you, like it's really impressive about how medina and Italo and Felipe, how they develop themselves so good. Yeah, so our guests, like they, most of them come to, from Brazil. And in Brazil, we have a few reefs, but like as I come from the south, a lot of people, like our network, like from friends and everything, they come from the south and they are not so experienced with reefs. And so, I think the main concern is with the reef. People are always asking about like how how it is, like how deep is or 
how should they fall or what should they do if they fall you know should they wear booties or not you know this kind of thing but once i always try to make people comfortable with that because you don't hit the reef every time you fall you know mm -hmm. it's wave and then so once they are like more comfortable with that even people that don't have like a high skills level for surf like big waves or big barrels they can like overcome them themselves and and surf like a proper wave or a big day or a good barrel so i think it's this is something that i always talk to them at the at the meeting that we have in the beginning of the trip that this is something that really And sometimes you have people with skills, people that knows how to surf, but they they are so like they keep thinking about that that they are not able to surf. So I always try to make them comfortable, like make them calm and, and try to show them that it's not that bad and they can risk a little bit. So they will be able to enjoy more. And we like a lot to push people. So like we always try to tell them that <clears throat> sometimes they know that they are not there to surf like big days or they don't have like a, a excellent skills or, you know, they are not used with this, that kind of waves, but <clears throat> the trips are done in almost two weeks because it's the, it's the bigger the chances for us to get at least one, not big swell, but, a decent swell so we always try to tell them that the swell won't last too long but we can do it like we will try to <clears throat> be at the best spot at that day and sometimes some people they don't surf or they go and stay on the shoulder to get used but just to experience that situation like Lance is right with like six foot or a good day at Kandui or, you know, like macas, macaronis on the proper day. It's something that really changes your reference about surfing, especially for people that are used with beach breaks, like cross shore, onshore winds and, you know, like two, like chest high, shoulder high waves. So, This is something that sometimes the, they are not surfing. They are not like getting the best waves of their lives at that day. But just the fact that they are experiencing that thing and they are mm -hmm. watching, they are participating with that thing. Proof. Next time. So we surf one day with six foot. When the waves go to four foot, they are really comfortable. They are pulling okay. in. They are risking turns. So... Yeah, this is something that it happens a lot and it's really cool to see as well. That's awesome. It's, yeah. yeah. It sounds like a like a dream to sleep on a boat next to perfect waves. It's like exactly what every surf adventure sounds yeah. like, you know? <laughs> it should be that way. And it's a easy life, you know, when you when you come out of the dinghy when you're coming from the session you just hand your board to someone from the staff from the crew and they will like they're gonna put your board they're gonna 
keep it on the right spot. You just need to come out of the water, take a shower, and then the food is on the table. <laughs> and then you go to the living room with AC and watch a movie or play or play some PlayStation. And then a few hours later, you are back on 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 the water. So it's kind of like a dream, yeah. Especially this day where people are living a super stressful lives and and like just dreaming about having a time for themselves and doing what they love more most so yeah i would say it's it's a dream yeah definitely do people typically come with their boards or do you guys apply boards or how does that usually work no they come with their boards we have a lot of space for boards and they sometimes they ask us about what kind of boards they should bring uh, because again they are not used with reefs they don't know how sometimes they don't know how big the waves will be and they are able to surf or not so we always advise them about boards and I think the main thing Gustavo always talk with people about that is the a good uh, paddle power like to be able to get into the wave you know because uh, once you are used you already know how the wave breaks in the reef and you put yourself on the right spot but if you are not used um, sometimes you go a little bit to the shoulder and the wave is not so powerful there or sometimes if you don't have the paddle power you get like stuck into the leap and then it's one of the worst wipeouts you can get so yeah they they ask about boards and then during the trip they ask a lot about uh, what board should i bring what kind of fins should i use and yeah and then leashes as well so we try to help with everything because our goal is to make them happy and make the experience as best as possible, you know? Mm -hmm. So with leashes, do you recommend like the quick release ones? Like, is it best when you're wiping out on reef to get rid of your board or do you need your board to get back out? Uh, I, I don't, yeah, I just don't like to thin reef leashes because they, they uh, snap easily and they, mm -hmm too much I I prefer even if it's a little bit longer but a little bit uh, thicker because then you are able to bring your back your board back to you uh, faster and then like I I tell them about like when you are really because of course the the waves are different but First thing, I always advise to not go all the way to the end of the wave because most of the time, the last session are really shallow and sometimes gets, it becomes like a closeout. And the other thing is like, uh, if you fall on the takeoff, let, let, let the wave brings you like away from the impact zone a bit, but then try to then the whole water will bring you to the channel like naturally, but make an effort to go to the channel instead of trying to face the, 
because this is something that you are used to do on beach breaks. Mm-hmm. And if you are aware that you, you go like on that direction, not like this, it saves you from a lot of problems uh, because once you get dragged into the reef as, as much, as longer as you are there, you, uh, drier the reef will become. And the other thing is like, do not go like on deep duck diving, you know? Sometimes, like if I feel that I'm really on a shallow place from the reef, I just paddle straight to the foam and like to the white water that is coming and just push like without even duck diving because we had people that hurt the, the, the fingers or snap mm. rope like fins. Like, you know, you need to be a little bit aware of that. Because it's so shallow? Yeah, because it's shallow. And yeah. and the other thing that I, I realize that happens a lot with with us, like Brazilians that are used with, with uh, sandbars, that is people, <clears throat> they, when you're at the sandbar, at least with me, it was like this. Whenever I fall, I used to put my feet on the ground, you know, on the, on the sand, and then push myself up. And this is something that you cannot do it on a reef, you know. You should avoid as much as possible to touch the reef. So I always tell people, like, once you fall, like, lift your, your legs and try to not touch the reef. Like, I said that is the jellyfish strategy. You become a jellyfish. <laughs> you know? You, <laughs> yeah, you will be light, and and then you once you grab your board, paddle as fast as possible towards the the channel. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting because I would imagine like we're in Florida, so we're surfing. It's only beach break here, and um, where where we're in um Lake Worth. It's outside of West Palm Beach. It's like an hour north of Miami. Ah, okay. Yeah, so we're... What? There is some swells there uh, now with the storm season. Yeah, yeah. There's a pretty good one starting at the end of this week for like 15 days. So this is like hurricane season. Um, Yeah, I saw some news about Paulette. Paulette storm, hurricane. Yeah, it didn't hit us. Um, There was only one... Really good New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. So this is our first season. Like this is our first year living here in Florida. So this is our first hurricane season. And um the first hurricane that hit us, which it nothing happened basically except for really good waves. They closed the beaches and I didn't know that that meant that you just surf in a different spot. I thought it just meant like you don't surf. And I and so I you know, my friends were at the beach that don't surf and they were like, oh, it looks pretty good. You know, shouldn't you be out there? And I'm like, oh, the beaches are closed. They said, oh, no, that just means you got to go from the different parking lot and you then you walk down. So they uh, like, hey. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, OK. So, you know, it, it's like kind of that thing where they close it so that um, the people who aren't. I don't know, skilled or whatever, they they won't go in the water, you know, like tourists and different people like that. But I was also a little like, 
nervous about Hurricane Swell just because it can be so unpredictable and I'm still like learning the spot. So I was a little whatever, but this weekend should be really good. Good to know. Yeah, here the season is already finishing. So I think this weekend we will have a a pause, but yeah, you could notice that the, the, the whole ocean is more easy right now. Mm-hmm. But it so, was a good. So, did you miss most of the season because of coronavirus with your trips, or how did that work? No, we missed the whole the whole season. I didn't, yeah. I didn't this, this year. Okay. So we were doing like a big renovation at the boat. We started in in January, like mm-hmm. January we start, and then I land in I came I was in Australia. For a while, like, and then I came early February, and then I went twelve. If I'm not wrong, it was the first death case of Corona in Indo, which was mm-hmm. in Bali officially, and then it was when everything started to like ex- escalate. Like people start to cancel trip. Like we, we luckily postponed the whole the whole schedule to 2021, and then yeah, and then we stopped the, the renovations because we we need to save money. We didn't know what was going to happen, you know, and yeah, we just paying the crew for the whole season, and yeah, and the boat is is there. It stopped. We turn on the engine like three times a week. Yeah, we couldn't make anything. And for me, it was a crazy experience because then I went to Talos with a friend that he was managing a resort there, which is like North Sumatra. And then I was stuck there because we Indo closed the, the domestic flies. I was living at this island, like at this resort that was closed without too much access to internet or we we didn't have like water or electricity most of part of the day only at night and we were leaving like three friends and then three other friends were at the at a boat in front of us they used to anchor right in front of the resort and two local guys that work at the resort and so we were there for four months as a, for four months as, as a family, completely isolated. And we couldn't, even if we wanted, we couldn't go back. We couldn't go back to Bali. We couldn't go back to the Sumatra or whatever. The whole archipelago was closed. It was locked down. In the beginning, they, they wouldn't, they were not allowing us to surf, but then there was no Corona. It was a place where it was corona free there was no cases of corona i don't know for now but at that time and then we start to surf uh, like april mid april and there is a lot of resorts in this area so it was just the surf guides and the managers and the owners of the resort so we would surf many times with like three four guys in the water wow it was amazing it was really really cool <laughs> and so you were saying on a the the resort was empty. Yeah. 
when I was there, I was there for shooting some some footage and some pictures doing yoga because this friend wants to advertise the resort. And there was a few guests and, and they left before the trip finished because one of them was uh, like from U.S. and the, the U.S. started to send messages to citizens mm-hmm. saying, ah, the country will shut down and close, you know, come back. And then she left and the other person left. So we were there in the beginning with more friends and then some other friends left as well. And we were just the three of us. And it was such a cool experience in my life. Like many days of like meditation and like silence and we were just living a super outside life with not so many resources but enjoying the whole thing like the stars and the, the sun rising the sunset diving you know and surfing a lot and cooking a lot we had like just we were super short in options of food mm-hmm. And but we use a lot of creativity, and and at at the end of the whole thing, really crazy stuff happened because the guys from the boat they left, they 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 sailed to Mentawi, and then one of the guys started to feel really sick, and because there was a moment where, so we were three in land, three on boat, and two other friends in south of the Talos and then they they went to see us in the north so there was this one night where all of us eight guys were there and then when they left to Bentawi and the captain of the boat Gutu started to feel sick at the same time one of the guys from the south started to feel sick then this guy went to the hospital and Gutu went to the hospital in in Bentawi and he tests and there was nothing, no malaria, no nothing. And the other guy tests positive to malaria. And then he flew to Padang, that is the main city where the, all the boats departed. And then Gutu went there too, but then Gutu passed away. He died of malaria. And then we left and we went to Padang. The three friends that were still there, we went to Padang to help to give some support for the guys. So what, the guy from the South, Bruno, was still in the hospital. He wasn't healed, completely healed at that moment. So we went there and then Michel, that was the manager of the resort, he was there for like four days or so. And then he got malaria too. He got the, the malaria. Actually, they had already, but then malaria can get I heard about three months and then another person talked about one year, but it stays on your liver. And mm-hmm. once your immune system goes down, it comes out and start to kind of like destroy your blood. Your hemoglobins start to destroy your hemoglobins. And it was a crazy time. It was a crazy after like this dream season. All this happened. It was crazy. There was a moment I thought that we were going to lost Michelle because she was like, yeah, I was really sad. And the doctors wasn't treating properly. He had 
hadn't at that time there was no machine like uh, checking his blood oxygenation and anyway it was crazy I remember this one day that I went to the hospital and he was like wide like yeah it was an ugly thing but then after that he started to get better and eventually he was he was healed yeah so malaria comes from mosquitoes right yeah malaria and dengue and okay no cure so what happened was like the three guys that get got malaria they were the three ones that at that night that everybody was together four people the eight people were together were the three persons who spent almost the whole night outside drinking they mm. went to sleep late and two of them Gutu and Bruno they slept in the living room kind of like the restaurant has the living room with some couch like some sofa so they slept there they were just like drunk or something and they slept there without mosquito uh. we think that all three got malaria at the same night that's so crazy yeah it was crazy it was scary like yeah it was jeez from like like heaven to hell you know the whole thing so when did you get back to where you're at now yeah, I'm in Bali now. So then, because before this happened, me and Michelle, we were talking already because I think it was mid-June. They uh, start to operate domestic flights again. Mm -hmm. And then talk, oh, let's go Bali just for a while, just to, you know, change and be at the civilization for a bit. And then this happened. And then Michelle came back to Bali. And I stay with the guys on the boat for two more weeks, and then I came back. I, I came back in early August, like 5th August, I think. So almost two, two months here, back. And so will you stay there and then wait for next year's season? Yeah, I will, yeah. Actually, now I have a place here. I have a home. I share a home with a friend, with Kusavo. And... Yeah, we rent this place and like I moved, you know, once we rent, we rent mm -hmm. less. I moved, I brought all my, not everything that I have, but like all my gears, surf gears, like all my wetsuits are here, all my boards. I have two boards still in, in Virakiara at my beach house. A lot of, I don't know, most of my clothes. Yeah, I moved, I moved to Bali, so yeah. I don't even I would like to visit my parents, but Brazil, it's not so good to go. And um, I don't want to be stuck in Brazil and don't make it back to Bali, you know, or to mm -hmm. Indo. I want to be here for the next season. So right now, is Indo letting tourists in at all or no? It's completely shut still. No, it was shot, but then then Kelly came and everybody started to cave. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it's, it's a joke, but it's a little bit true. But they figure out a way of bringing people in, you know. I think the government did it to make some money because 
like especially Bali is having a really hard time with mm -hmm. uh, with zero tourists here, and they did this wrong move. Like it was, I think it was early. No, it was late Ju July, and they released a new regulation saying that people that were with like free visa or exception visa, there is another cases, which was mine, they should leave the country until I think 13th of August or something. And then a lot of people got scared and left. From what I heard, Bali mm. at moment had 7,000 tourists and it went to like 3,000, 4,000, half of it, half of the tourists left. And which was a little bit like a wrong move from the government because people were here spending money, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think now they are making like they create some gap. I think some probably some gap uh, gaps on the laws and mm -hmm. then people coming in. I know that they have they need to do like two corona tests and everything. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's good for people to come and spend some time and some money here. But one thing that happened was like when the government first said that in September 11, which was a weird day, you know, yeah, they said that they 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 was they were going to open Bali. It was weird because it wasn't the whole country; it was Bali. Mm. No, because the government governor of Bali wanted anyway. Then they they decided that it wasn't going to happen, and they was they were going to stimulate the the domestic the local tourism. So they're gonna bring more people and like like push people to travel inside of Indo. And what happened was that the number of cases increased a lot. Mm -hmm. So Jakarta now is in lockdown. There's another few other spots in lockdown. And Bali, they were talking about a month of lockdown. Didn't happen yet, but I don't know. Yeah. It's such a it, it's, it's like a, the craziest time. Yeah, the craziest time ever. And it's it's weird because I didn't leave the 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 thing, you know. I didn't leave the the lockdown. Like I was in lockdown. I was really in lockdown, but I didn't see like people using masks, people mm -hmm. scared, like empty markets. Actually, the place that I was it was no market, you know. It's just it's like small, you know. But in in there, people weren't using masks. They were not even talking about, you know, and then Bali, it's, you, you get to see like people are using masks the whole time and, but it's not like a crazy thing. People are not scared. People are not, I don't know, violent about anything. Because Brazil had some situations and I heard U.S. there is kind of like a war, including <laughs> about the, the guy that killed uh, the police officer, all that thing in the middle of the Corona crisis. Yeah. yeah, I have some friends from New York, and the it's pretty wild. 
It's yeah, pretty wild but, over here right now. Yeah, he texted me one day. He said Manhattan is a war zone. Oh I yeah, like, I I wouldn't be in in New York right now. Yeah. He live in Long Island, but uh, they can you know they know how things are there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty it's weird here to to have two horrible situations going on like at the same time, you know, because everybody's already scared because of corona and then you have this other kind of like fear from people. So it's been it's been pretty weird. We luckily live in a pretty small city. So there hasn't really been anything like that you know going yeah. on and uh it, here it's pretty chill it's not it's not everywhere in the states it's like that so where we're at it's pretty pretty chill i, I know there is a few spots i like my friend i have a good friend from italy she lives in rome and she spent 90 days in lockdown 90 she was only allowed to go market and it had like a healthy problem uh to the to the drugs or to the farmers mm -hmm. yeah jeez it's crazy it is crazy and i think it's it's also been really interesting to be somebody who has traveled like i think it's one thing for people who like they're in their own country and this is the lockdown that they're experiencing but then you hear stories from other people, you know, like you hear stories from Australia and it's just like so gnarly. They're very, very strict lockdown. And you, then you hear like, you know, my friend from Denmark, it's like no one's even wearing masks there at all. So it's, everybody's dealing with it in such a different yeah. way. It's kind of interesting yeah. to see that. Yeah, that's true. I think, I think like Italy now is kind of like, from what I heard, kind of like normal life almost. Mm -hmm. And I'm as well, like Sydney is really good. And then I have a friend from Melbourne and he said, it's a mess that the whole state of Victoria is in lockdown. And I think it just went to two or three weeks or they are still in lockdown. Yeah, I hope this vaccine comes. Or I don't know, I hope. Because young people get infected and sometimes they don't feel nothing at all. And, you know, so I think eventually everybody will get it. And, yeah, the problem is with old people, right? Yeah, yeah. That's how it is here, too, because we're in Florida and all of the old people from the north buy homes in Florida to retire. Okay. So it was spreading. They have communities in Florida where it's only 55 years old and up. So no young people can live in there. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So it's, they don't like, have, they don't, they don't want contact with the youth. <laughs> that's right. Well, and I mean, okay. So I get it a little bit, right? So, you know, you worked your whole life in, say, Michigan, which is where I'm from. And you did all the winters and all that stuff and you saved your money. And when you're done working, you want to go live in the sun and you want to just chill. You don't want to hear screaming kids. You don't want to whatever. I You don't want to hear crazy parties from like, you know, 
30 year olds or whatever you you just want your peace and quiet so that I guess it it makes sense but now it just seems like a horrible idea because yeah if one person gets it mm -hmm. it goes all the all the community and they're like totally closed communities right so they build these and I've never seen anything like it anywhere else they kind of have something like it in Arizona But when we moved here, seeing, you know, we were buying stuff for our new house and people are selling stuff on Craigslist and you go into these communities and they're fully gated. So someone will, some developer will buy like, I don't know, 50 acres or whatever, and they'll fence the whole thing. And there's like three different entrances with guards and there's like a community pool, a community center, but all the houses are only 55 and up. So you think until they, obviously they close like the community pools eventually and all that stuff, but just think about how much of it was spreading before that those things closed down. And they're yeah. everywhere in Florida. It's, it's yeah. Close, uh, like they lived so close inside of one place it's just need one person and mm -hmm. the whole community will be infected yep yeah and so that's i mean risky, right sorry it's a risky group yeah it is a risky group it's uh it's kind of why florida was hit pretty hard but now i think the herd immunity is kind of starting to kick in because it spread here really fast So it kind of like came through really quick. There was a lot of deaths in the beginning. Now the cases are higher because more people are getting tested, but the death is pretty low. Like it's, it's way less people are dying here. So that's good. They started opening up restaurants and bars and gyms and all of that stuff. Certain places you need to wear a mask still, but, um, it's starting to get more a little bit back to normal here. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, super glad. The beaches were closed too. What? The beaches were closed for a while. Yeah. Yeah, here they closed even Bali. It was a little bit, it was weird. From what I heard, it, like local people were still surfing, but bullets couldn't, couldn't surf. Like the people from outside couldn't surf and couldn't go to the beach and anything. But I think. To be on a place with like uh, more warm weather it helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I heard something about like air conditioning that it like moves. <laughs> so like in the big apartment complexes that are all using the same like air conditioning uh, thing. Mm. Yeah, I don't know too. <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah, Corona. So I have three last questions for you. Yeah. Before we wrap it up. So what is the weirdest wave that you've ever surfed? Jeez. Weirdest wave? You mean the place itself? Or whatever. The place, the wave. Mm. I mean, let me just try to figure out. 
remember something that is really weird. Like there was weirdest wave. <laughs> this is always the hardest question. Yeah, it's really hard. Like one thing that it's it wasn't that weird, but like two situations I I would put in this. It was when I was I was in Italy for a while because I have an Italian family. I was getting my citizenship there, and then I surfed in Italy and Mediterranean, which was like it wasn't weird, it was in, unexpected. And then the other thing that once happened with me was in Fernando de Noronha. It's an island in Brazil and super protected. So there was this, I don't know how you call when there was a lot of fishes together. Oh, a school. What? A school. A school of fish. So, you know, they are all together like time. So uh -huh. I the wave and the whole wave was, the wall of the wave was just fishes. You know, ah. they were like, swimming. But it wasn't it wasn't like a wall of water, it was a wall of <laughs> fish. Yeah, and now I remember like actually in Tahiti in one of my last days, the water was so bright and and there was no wind, it was so glass that I got this wave and it was like so I couldn't see the wave. I ah. just Thought that something was moving, but looks like like glass moving. I couldn't see where was the bottom, where was the lip, where was the curve of the wave. It was just like I could see only the reef with different perspective. It was weird. It was. It looks like lenses, you know, different lenses. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think that was one of the weirdest waves, probably. That's a good one. That's a good one. What was your biggest oh shit moment while surfing? Ocean? Right. Oh shit. Like, oh shit. Like a scary moment. Ah, oh shit. Wow. <laughs> I remember this one, oh shit. Jeez, it was a good one. <laughs> so there was this swell in 2018 here in, in Indo that was a lot of hype in that swell. Probably you have seen that footage from the boat being like demolished, like the wave smashing the boat in Nias. Mm -hmm. So I was in Mentawi. And then we navigate to the playground area, which is on the north. It's the last, like the last big island in Sibirut. And on the, on the south of it, it called, people call like playground area, where is Kandui. So people were thinking that. Kandui would be really good. Kandui holds a lot of swell, but then the winds were weird. Anyway, like there was a lot of storm during the day. And then this one wave start to like work properly, like with on offshore winds. And it's a wave that usually people learn how to surf. And it was like, I don't know, 10, 12 foot, I don't know like barreling, like chop, like really like proper barrels. Uh, Lucas Chianca, Brazilian guy, like big wave, he was there. He was one, I think he was the first one to jump in the water. And then I jumped in the water too. 
And then I went to change my board. I was in a 6-0, and then I got a biggest board that I have. It was a 6-3. I went back, and it was like six guys in the water. So that wave in front is in front of an island, and at, you have a big channel, and at the other side there is that uh, wave called Rifles. So Rifles was too big, and this channel, it was from some people that... Uh, have been working there for a long time. They say it was the first time that the channel was closed. So there was a few sets that break and close the channel. And we were like watching the channel, the waves breaking the channel, and somehow the swell kind of like swing to this to this uh, reef where we were. And then so after the wave breaks, we could see it coming and then trying starting to suck water and then we were at the right spot so it was the end of the day when the waves started to work it was like around three o'clock i couldn't surf i didn't surf too many waves i surfed two bad waves and we were waiting and then i remember someone said oh it's already going down right and i was like people were like yeah i think stop for a while and then we saw this one wave that didn't break in the channel, but somehow swung to the reef and just, and I remember to watch <laughs> I get some, because I remember to watch and see the wave. It's the wave itself simply stopped at the horizon, like really far from us and start to drain water, like sucking water and water. And everybody started to paddle a lot. Pedal, pedal, pedal. And I remember that wave, like, broke, I don't know how close to me. I remember to think the worst nightmare <laughs> in surf is happening. My worst nightmare, which is a, a wave break top to bottom in front of me. It was right in front of me. It was like, and, and in front of most of the guys as well. Yeah, and I was like, oh my gosh. And then I just went down and got like super pounded. For you to have an idea, my board snapped. I, 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 my leash was so like stretched. I couldn't bring my board back. When I came and it came, the fins were snapped too. It broke the fin. Just the, the, the fin box came like and broke. And then I even, I got the the second one and the third one, and I was super scared because I didn't want to lose my board and my fins actually. So I wasn't lose. I I kept the lead worst. And there was this guy with the jet ski. I started to yell to see if he got he could come and get me. And he started to get some other guys, some like pro surfers. And I was like, I need to deal with this by myself. So <laughs> I took leads. And I was at the inside, and then I got the first one, and then I got the second one. <laughs> and before the third one, I remember to, to hear people screaming like, you, wow. So I was like, fuck, the next one will be big. And I remember Nick Vonrup, you know, the Portuguese surfer. When I paddled towards the third one that I got in my head on the, on the, on the inside, he was coming in this big one. I think he did like a towing. So at this moment, uh, I I could because the wave was a little bit bigger than the other one, so it didn't hit the the inside properly. So I could swim to the channel, and then I 
save myself and yeah it was it was really I was really frustrated because I couldn't surf anything but I was happy because I was like oh yeah I was able at least to save myself (laughs) there was another situation that I remember at pipeline but maybe for another time but it was kind of like the same same thing but it was I don't know if I have time but yeah yeah kind of like that too yeah I was like I was so one of my dream was to spend the whole season in Hawaii and then 2016-17 I went there and spent five months so the first big swell of the season was a Christmas day and in pipeline you see the guys the good guys and the locals they stay in one place and all the, the rest of the crowd is a little bit underneath them and this, I saw this big set coming and we from normal people we start to run like paddle because there was a big amount of white water coming and I look at the left and I saw like Kelly and John John and Cora Rotman Jamie O'Brien they were just sitting so I was like Man, they sit on a different spot in in the lineup. So I want to see how they see the wave, you know. So next swell, it was a big one with a lot of energy. I went, surf a little bit with the crowd, and then it was Nathan Florence and another guy. And I was like, I'm going to sit down underneath them. So I sat there. The moment that I sat there, this big set came, like northwest, a lot of, like, coming from the second leaf. There's a lot of white water. And I was like, no way. So he started to paddle, and then he duck dive, and I was like, okay, duck dive, and duck dive. And the first duck dive, he was already like, in the beginning, he was like three meters in front of you, of me. The first duck dive, he was already 10. The second one, he was already 20. The third one, I, I, I ditched my board, and then the leash like, was so stretched that I was like, I need to, I need to take the leash off. And then the fourth snapped my leash. And the set, and the fifth wave, I was at the shore break of eight-foot wave pipeline. Fuck. It just, like, explode right in front of me and, like, pounded me a lot. And I remember when I popped up, I was, like, so drained of energy that I was, like, I'm going to raise my hand, you know, for the lifeguards to, to help me. And then I looked at the lifeguards at the, the channel and I said, no, now you're going to deal with this. You're going to hold your, your, yourself, you know, just breathe and keep yourself calm. You're going you're gonna to do it. And then the second, the sixth wave, the sixth, like just again on the shore break and then the seventh wave and was just white water. I think I got like 12 waves. At the end, I was just close. <laughs> I was like... The last wave, I was like at the shore, at the sand. And I was just like, almost like, like, you know, crawling. I was no energy. It was, yeah, that wave was a bullshit moment, definitely. That's, well, now you know why those guys sit there. Because they can duck dive three meters at a time, right? <laughs> they can get yeah. yeah. It's not, yeah, not coincidence that they got the best waves. <laughs> Fuck, that's yeah. so gnarly. My last question for you is, what is next for you? What is next? Mm-hmm. In my life or in surf or? Both. Well, what is next? 
I think the first is like, uh, so the end of my first season as surf guy, surfing a lot, I was, I missed a lot to teach yoga. I missed to help uh, and to support and to give people tools for them to live better in a broader way because as surf guide, I was happy because I was giving happiness to people in a different way from what I was doing for my whole life. But, and then I start to think about how could I integrate the both things. So this year, when I arrived in Bali, I, I have some former students of myself. They were like all the time, like pushing me to come back to classes because I had like a big story about then I stopped teaching when I left my school. And then I eventually, as I was here with good Wi-Fi, I started to teach again and I have been doing online classes with them. And it's been like really, really good, really, like I feel so happy, so fulfilled about it. So the next movement, it will be really to integrate the both things because now mm -hmm. I'm living not a regular season. That's why I'm teaching so much. So I want to be able to do both things and to create something inside yoga that integrates what the tradition of yoga has and with the science and what the science already found out that is good, that works, you know. Mm -hmm. I have doing this and some research and putting some pieces together to make it. And and then establish myself like as a really like Bali resident with my own place and make some like money with my company here because we couldn't actually make money with the surf charter yet. And then uh, so this is like the project on a personal level. And then as a surfer, I was talking with Diego, my friend. He was here, the, my business partner that. I want to be able to surf like eight, eight foot waves, barreling like slabby waves, more consistent and especially more comfortable in mm -hmm. a way that they are, I surf like six foot or five to six, five to eight, but I, I want to surf eight to plus like that, especially at the grower, which is a wave that always challenged me. I couldn't get anything good there so far in my life, and I, I wanted and be able to surf again both Chopu and Pipeline. Yeah, this, is, this is the next, I think, this is, yeah, the next goals. That's awesome. Well, I'm so glad we were finally able to do this. Yeah, me too. That's cool. I'm glad we did it. Yeah, same. You have been a very interesting life you've led i think yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> three years crazy crazy things happen there is even more stories but i think i would <laughs> spend too much time talking about <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's cool it's gonna be a really good episode so nice yeah well cool thank you very much for having me and i'm glad we did it finally yeah, me so, too. We'll talk uh, soon. Enjoy the rest of your night. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
And that was episode 57. I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. We will leave information about Lucas and the boat trips and the yoga that he's doing in the description below. All really great stuff. And of course, we will see you next Monday with another episode. Thanks, guys.